Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast. For your source of discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join our host, I Love Kim Possible A Lot or KP, and Lyle Convoy or Lyle Manbad. Hello everyone to this episode of Animation Communication. Episode, it's in the 90s at this point. So in case you're not familiar, I'm I Love Kim Possible A Lot. KP for short. I have a co-host who's here sometimes rarely. He has a 60-hour schedule, so I kind of don't push him at this point, but he's here. He's in the void. And this podcast is about, like, fandom and fandom culture and, you know, kind of an animation and art and a bunch of different things if you're new to it. But basically, I'm a YouTuber and I talk about this kind of stuff. Because I'm an animator myself, and it's interesting to educate the public and kind of talk about how to have positive relationships with your fandom and fun settings. So with me today, I have Miss Tara, who I met and stole from Fan Expo. So Tara, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. I'm Tara Jabari. I'm a digital media consultant. So I work with people on their digital presence, whether it's writing, social media, podcasting, and video. So when I was at Fan Expo, I write monthly for the Game of Nerds website on blog site and I got a press pass. So I went to a few of the talks and panels and gave reviews and recaps of what went on. It was my first year at Fan Expo, so that was fun. And yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a it was a fun at Fan Expo, you know. A little stressful on my end, but you know, I think it's Cons are always stressful in some regard because there's just a lot of logistical concerns. Yeah, and you were on the you were on the first day, so it was not as hectic. Did you prefer to be there on the first day or? Um. Well, it's I was kind of just vibing because I don't know how to articulate this, but because I'm an artist at conventions too, and for those who don't familiar, I'm, I do art and I do commissions on site, and that's usually my bread and butter at conventions because the majority of the people that find me at conventions aren't familiar with the channel or the, the brand or anything like that. So it's more just like, what do your kids want? I can draw you like a traditional character cartoonist, but with a like a fandom twist, I guess, you know, but I have mm-hmm. signs and people can take cards. So it's kind of I've been doing this for a while. And for those unfamiliar, I was in the Brony conventions for a bit. And now like we branched out a couple of years ago to just general fandom stations. So uh, Fan Expo Chicago this year was my first Fan Expo that I was able Mm. to uh, get accepted for. So that was cool. But I lost my train of thought. But yeah, I that's where I got my background from is I learned how to do project management for the the Brony fandom and trial and error. I actually have a film degree and I have a studio art minor. So this has all been experience points at this at this rate. So yeah, I guess general for those who don't know me, but did you have any fun other conventions or panels that you went to at Fan Expo that wasn't that wasn't just mine Tara yeah no I I did and I liked yours a lot because I'm in the back end of just a like a monthly writer not even that regular because they have weekly writers for the Game of Nerds and the Game of Nerds has been going on for over I think 10 years now I started during lockdown no like 2021 as when I started getting involved with them. And I think that was eight years uh, that they were up. But while you were explaining things like looking at HR documents to see how you want to protect yourself and have these agreements and how to deal with conflict, I was like, 
that explains the contract that they sent me the game (laughs) (laughs) just like they said you have to read this form you have to have this handbook of what we accept and what we don't you know tolerance levels and all that stuff the language we use and why they have all the right to say yes or no to whatever Mm -hmm. I'm writing as they edit and you were always saying like, be responsive, be communicative and be there for your team. So they're like, listen, there's like a Facebook chat or excuse me, Facebook group. And every week they're like, this is a reminder on Monday, like we're on for a new week. You need to have your stories in by one Thursday or Friday. And if there's any problems, you let us know. And here's a way to schedule a time to meet with the editors every week like clockwork and then on friday they're like remember it's the last day to put it in for this week before we can approve and then if there was a problem for instance for me they would sometimes go and say hey tara you didn't really put the proper um photo credit right if if it was a Mm -hmm. movie poster i have to clarify is the movie poster from the studio or did i get it on imdb or whatever it is and so i was like oh oh, sorry you know that's always through Facebook Messenger. So it's kind mm-hmm. of immediate and they won't put it in unless they won't publish it until we get that corrected and stuff. And as you were talking about like, oh, if you need more writers and all, if you need to have support, like you're not people's therapists, but you need to also know that sometimes they might need to work things out with mm-hmm. you. And I was like, oh, this so explains how the game of nerds works. <laughs> Um, it just like everything started clicking for me. So I really enjoyed your talk. And then I went to a couple others. One was with Popcorn Psychology podcast. Mm -hmm. They came to talk about how therapy is perceived in film and television and good examples, Mm -hmm. like even The Sixth Sense or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I was going to say, I think they use Rick and Morty too. They do talk about that. I just don't watch that show, but I do remember they did. Right. Susan Sarandon, who was one of the guests at the fan expo, there's like, oh, she did a great job. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay, cool. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She, uh, was, she was a guest for that episode. But anyway, it's a, it's a footnote. Yeah, <laughs> that was an example. They kind of explained. And then the, the usual, like, what was interesting is like Ted Lasso, they bring up as good examples and bad examples the most popular bad example that unfortunately is used often is when the psychiatrist or psychologist or clinician has a romantic relationship with their patient and that happens and 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 things and they're like that drives us crazy it's not how you should do it and all that stuff it's like a big big no-no and it's usually plot driven for a lot of examples when therapy is introduced So Mm -hmm. we're like, oh, interesting. So that, and then I went to a panel about what scares horror writers. So (laughs) it's, I think, the Chicago Horror Writer Association or something like that. And they had four horror writers come talk about what scares them, what inspires them, why did they become horror writers in the first place. And it was around the time, it's the same time as Michael J. Fox was doing his meet and greets and Uh they're like no one's gonna come to this (laughs) and the thing for me is that as a press pass I still have to pay for the meet and greets I'm like yeah I'm not doing that so Mm -hmm. I would just go and do the panels because those are free for me right and also I was like what am I gonna write about I saw Michael J Fox for five seconds and got a photo 
and he was nice. Like, I, that's not going to be good for me to write a piece. So I'm there for first and foremost, a job. So the mm. panel was really interesting. They were talking one of my favorite things. And all of these three are now live on the Game of Nerds website. But one was they said, someone had a question, is there anything that is off limits? And that was such a good question. Because as writers, and as creatives, we know, like, even if you do, like, if, if, especially in horror, if there's killings or whatever, what is off limits? And basically, one of the writers said, like, there is freedom of expression, but there is no freedom of consequence. So keep mm. that in mind. And that was a great, basically, an, an answer to sum up, is there anything that is off limits? I guess, arguably, no, but do not be surprised if you get backlash for whatever you did. You know, they said sometimes people who use school shootings, the the writers were like, personally, I can't do that because it's too realistic. Somebody else was like, grew up very religious and hers concentrates a lot on exorcisms and things like that. For her, it's very real, but Mm -hmm. it's not something that she's not afraid to also write about because when she writes about it, she, it's a form of, of exposure and therapy and ways mm-hmm. to cope with what she's witnessed as a child. So it was an interesting, they're like, so it's not off limits, but you, you do have to be careful or expect that there will be backlash and be sensitive to how, if you want to write about school shootings, people won't respond well, or they won't read it or mm-hmm. about an exorcism and all sorts of stuff. So it was a really good panel discussion. Yeah. The, the fan expo, Chicago had a really like interesting and stellar like celebrity list. So I was like mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox and Chevy Chase and Christopher Lloyd's line was huge. And Susan Saranda, I think like off the top of my head's won an Oscar before. So, you know, that's usually you yeah. don't get that kind of talent for a just sh- standard convention. You get mostly voice actors and then some right. other different people. So that's why as a YouTuber, it's been a little bit, of a learning curve, I think, for conventions or influencers is figuring out what to do with us, quote unquote, because like there's, you know, I know from my pony days, there's a market for this, like people want to see their favorite influencers, but sometimes conventions haven't really put that together that influencers can be their own marketing, uh, their their own hype man too. But it's also kind of a catch-22 because they're not restricted by studios and they're not Sometimes they don't have the hottest takes and then you there's there's liability risks there kind of yeah. essentially if an influencer does something or said something before or after the con and you're just like, oh, well, I guess we're not booking that person anymore. Uh, so I guess to touch on it lightly, because I haven't really talked about it before we go back to you, is mm-hmm. I was doing a panel with Tara Strong for Fan mm-hmm. Expo. And for those who haven't been paying attention on the Twitter or the thing, but she had some... The super TLDR, you don't have to go digging in this if you don't want to, is she had some, she liked some racist material on Twitter and she was fired for production and she basically misunderstood at the very best what was going on and then blamed that on being Jewish and everyone just lost their shit. So it's it's interesting to go from getting ready to meet someone on a professional level and I gave her a, a picture with all her characters and I gave her a gift basket, didn't didn't hear anything from it. And then, not that it's about that, but, you know, like, a thank you is usually, like... Yeah. 
Yeah, something like that. I spent like 50 bucks and I did a custom painting of her and her characters. And Jody like was over the moon for it because I did one for Jody Benson, who was Ariel. So it was like night and day working with, with both of them. But uh, to basically her essentially being blacklisted, at least temporarily from the industry. And I'm like, whoa, like, you know, and I'm just glad when that when things hit the fan, I was like, oh, yep, this kind of matches what my professional experience with her because she was very. Oh, again, so she not got to- back. So Sorry? backlash after the fan expo or during? Yes, after, after. Okay, got like, it. Like, like a three-week three, three week period after. So, you know, so that's why it was kind of whiplashy for me, I guess. But it's not just generally talking about fan expo right now at this point. But, like, and I'm keeping it on the TL or the TLDR because this is what the, pop, the episode is about. But, like, yeah, she... Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was interesting because, she, like, again, trying to be as PC and straightforward as i can but she she was a little egotistical and mm-hmm. i was kind of uncomfortable because she was putting there was a lot of pressure and she kind of she called me out for being nervous on stage and implied it was because i was um, she was very attractive and i was just like oh, i'm just gonna okay calm down yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you've been open at least in that panel like you had your dog there I life. didn't have my dog for the terror one, but I had the dog for the Jody one. Jody was, I don't think she even knew it, was, it wasn't really a point, but Tara did see the dog earlier and she thought she liked the dog because I think she generally likes animals, but I didn't bring the dog to the terror one specifically. I'm sure that mm. would have helped if I brought the dog, but I shouldn't need my dog to to to, <laughs> to read the room, I suppose. But yeah, I have a, a little yeah. servicey dog named Toby who's who's a good bean. But he's he went to the con and he was in cosplay and it was it was fun. But anyway, yeah, it's just again, it seemed like she like I expected her to be a little nicer compared to how she was when she saw the dog when she arrived. So Yeah. It just it's just weird, you know? Yeah. Did you meet Michael J. Fox? I did not. I only I focused on Tara and Jody and vending and my own stuff because I think I had one to two panels a day and that's that's oh, usually God, that's... You know, it was a is a busy schedule to put it that way. So back to you because you're the guest. Sure. So why don't we go um, a little bit like what was your would you go to school? What'd you go for sure. school for? How'd you kind of got into um, your your little um, area of expertise, your little niche? So sure, I went to Bradley University, which is in Peoria, Illinois. And I studied electronic media, uh, and that was, it made us sound fancier than we are. A lot of people thought we were engineers, and we're like, no. It's, it was media production. And I think now they call it television arts, which we're like, oh, no, that's a terrible Yeah, major. I mean, like what so. I've noticed, especially if you're not going to an art school, is that you kind of get broad bullshit kind of terms, like, you know, like, um like the one you just mentioned. I think mine was yeah. digital communication or something like that, which is not very specific. So it's just kind of like, here's how TV works. It doesn't really, sometimes the programs don't yeah. teach you how to be good at art, like, you know, how to write stuff. They just say, hey, here's the technicality of how the thing works, which isn't helpful, but continue. I yeah, this that one, in. Was, I, ha- I did like Bradley's curriculum. We had the technical aspects, so I knew how to work a soundboard and a camera and editing and stuff like that. But they also required us to produce and write and direct and even be on camera. Usually it was mostly news pieces. So it wasn't fiction, more like documentary or news. So required you to have some experience in all the different facets that come to 
bringing up some form of media out, uh, screen-based media. So I really enjoyed that. And I saw that one of my strengths was more of the producing. I wanted to be a stronger writer and more than the technical aspect, but either or there. And then I started, I graduated in 2011. So that's when social media was really starting to pick up and no one really knew what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And when we graduated, a lot of us, including myself, were in charge of the social media. They're like, I don't know, there's this thing called Twitter, figure it out. Then they're like, there's something that's Instagram. And it's before Facebook bought Instagram and all sources are like, I guess it's visual. So like get photos. I don't know. And we're like, okay. So we get to figure it out. And uh, slowly but surely it became a more and more YouTube really picked up all sorts of stuff. And social media and the internet was a new way of telling stories. You didn't have Mm -hmm. to like breaking news wasn't just on the television on CNN or on regular cable. It was on Twitter, it was on YouTube, all sorts of stuff. So mm-hmm. it grew from there and I started, I really wanted to live abroad. So I applied to a few places. I got into the Peace Corps, but I also got into uh, the, hold on. It's the Bahai <laughs> National Center Audio and Visual Unit of New Zealand. And Fancy. so, yes. So that's how I was like, what was it called? And so the Peace Corps would have sent me to Lesotho to work with children with HIV. And it had mm-hmm. nothing to do with what I studied. And I didn't know how I could help them really. Versus the, <laughs> and also they had to disclose this. They said our Peace Corps volunteers have been robbed at gunpoint and raped. It's Oof. sort of like that white savior kind of complex that, that the locals sometimes or the gangs really didn't like and just all that stuff so my parents right. were absolutely not versus the new zealand they're like you'll have a host family they speak english <laughs> um, <laughs> you know all sorts of stuff and lesotho is like ironically like 10 years later i was able to go to lesotho while i was working for the elizabeth glacier pediatric aids foundation it's a landlocked country within south africa and is reported with the highest rates of hiv cases so it was so weird that I did get there. And then we were staying at like a really nice hotel and it was just, I was like, oh, this is the life. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was an interesting thing. But so we decided in 2013, no, I'm not doing the Peace Corps. I'll go to New Zealand. So I lived in New Zealand for a year. And one of the things that led me to go for my master's was that we went to Vanuatu. There were around the world in year 2013 from the Baha'i World Center, a youth conference, an international youth (laughs) conference. So 113 youth conferences all over the world was happening. So people between the ages of 15 to 30 within these communities and neighboring countries would come and say like, okay, what does our community need and how can we help them and help Mm -hmm. preserve the community and help uh, progress and all that stuff. So for instance, I from the United States and New Zealand is very similar. So I attended the New Zealand Youth Conference and I was also, I was 25 at the time. So I was a participant at that youth conference and it was a lot of the same things where they were like, well, we're taught, you know, study hard, get into a good school, get a job, get married, have kids, save money and all that. So like, it's a very regimented 
and stuff like that. So there was something else like, isn't there more to do, right? Mm -hmm. Then we were sent to Vanuatu. Vanuatu had five island countries from the South Pacific. So they had Vanuatu, New Caledonia, French Polynesia, and I'm not really, I can't remember the other two, but it was the third highest attendees with over 1,800 youths participating from five countries uh, at the Port Via Vanuatu. And these countries, are you aware of where Vanuatu is? I wasn't. I have no idea. Nope. <laughs> okay. So Vanuatu is a four-hour flight from Brisbane, Australia. So we had to fly from Auckland to Brisbane, Brisbane to Port Via. And uh, it's a series of like small islands, mostly three islands. Mm -hmm. And it's just in the South Pacific. And I had never really heard of it. And I checked and it's often regarded as one of the happiest countries in the world. And there it was and most of them spoke english which was interesting yeah. and uh everyone you know again between the ages of 15 to 30 so these people came from other parts of the island by boat um and they came it was the first time they had ever left their community their villages and things like that but they came to the capital and we got to interview them and what i noticed was interesting is that they're like, well, Vanuatu and most of these islands, they're very fertile. So all you mm -hmm. have to do, and the biggest export usually is coconut. And so they said, oh, we just have to work the farms for maybe three hours. The sun does the rest. Mm -hmm. The ocean, it's the Pacific Ocean, well, whatever. And mm -hmm. you're done. Maybe you go to high school. Maybe you graduate high school. Very rarely do they go past that. Because mm -hmm. when your life is so easy, like there's no, and they're like, we grow our own weed, we grow our own beer, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> but also when your life is so flexible and you're just full of sun and beach and the waves and it is beautiful, they also are like, what, you, you kind of are like, what else is there? Like we need to do something with our lives. And because they don't really go by, they're like, we don't necessarily need to like go and work for Wall Street or... And they typically are very healthy. Everything is very natural there. So a lot of much less health problems and stuff. So medicine isn't that much of a priority, I guess. So they were like, but we needed more. We needed more. So mm -hmm. one thing was, you know, more classes for children and the elderly. Like everyone needs to have some sort of classes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it was like community building and getting everyone active, right? And so they also were talking about, what was it? Oh, this is what really was interesting. So we were working for the Baha'i National Center of New Zealand and Baha'i World Center, which is located in Israel. Hmm. And every day we had to send all of the footage and a recap of what was going on, what was discussed, and all sorts of stuff. But the internet is not great in Vanuatu. <laughs> So, so we are in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. When am I ever going to go back? It's been over 10 years. I still haven't gone back to Vanuatu, mm -hmm. you know, and we were trying so hard to like pay attention, live in the moment, but we were like climbing the mountains or like our hosts would be like, come sit, we'll make you tea. And I'm like in 90 degree weather, what the heck is the matter with you people, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but, but they were very relaxed. Like It'll get done when it gets done. It'll get uploaded when it gets uploaded. Now, the Western, like the Americans, the New Zealanders, the Kiwis or whatever, we're used to fast internet, right? It drove us crazy that it was like, 
inching so long to upload or sometimes it wouldn't. And so we couldn't really pay attention that we're from the other side of the planet and we're having this lovely time for this week to be with these people who are so generous and so patient. So I was like, there is a digital divide. As much as it's bringing us together where you can know what's going on in Vanuatu from America, you know what's going on in Ukraine or Israel at the time of recording, they're both at war. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all sorts of stuff. There's still a divide where it's keeping us from connecting with each other Mm -hmm. too. So after my year at New Zealand, I decided to go to graduate school also because it was really hard to find work. It's not the best right. reason to go to grad school, but but I went. If you're bored, you know, you might as well. <laughs> I know. It's like, so I went and I got into Georgetown University for a master's in communication, culture, and technology. Mm-hmm. I mostly concentrated on the communication and culture aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. And in that, I also learned about the term parasocial relationships. I had no oh, yeah. Can tell tell you lots about that, but oh, I know. So in the fandom, so now we're getting to how I got to meet you. But basically, <laughs> parasocial relationships is a one-sided relationship with the media, right? So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is fascinating. And I told my dad I wanted to do my thesis on it, and he's like, oh, so you want to write your biography, your autobiography? <laughs> I'm like, rude. I know Ben Affleck would have married me if he knew me. You know, like all sorts, like I know, I know. And Angelina Jolie and I are besties. Like I just know it. Right. All sorts of stuff. <laughs> I've never met them. <laughs> so, but it was an interesting thing to kind of understand like why we become so invested in it. And right. so I got really into that. So it actually didn't become my thesis. I had to use it as an independent study, mm-hmm. but that's what focused on. If I went for my PhD, I would have wanted to continue with parasocial relationships, but mostly with this new form of media makers known as influencers, because that's Mm -hmm. really different. How much of you are the product, right? Musicians, you know, before there was Taylor Swift, there was Cher. And before there was Cher, there was Beethoven. You know, like there always was like a huge fandom around musicians actors, you know, William Shakespeare or writers, Jane Austen, all the way to today. There was always Mm -hmm. those artistic sports athletes. I didn't touch athletes because that's a whole other thing. Right. Oh, right, right. For sure. But influencers are quite unique in their own thing Mm -hmm. because you are the product. How much of yourself do you want to share? How much of it? So anyway, I decided not to go for my PhD, but I still had this interest in parasocial relationships. And I went and I presented my independent study was saying that we need to update parasocial relationships. It started in the 1950s and it hasn't really been updated for the digital age. It's basically if you sent something to the fandom, the media, Mm -hmm. then it's no longer parasocial, right? So Mm -hmm. if you tweet to Taylor Swift or if you comment on her or even like her photos on Instagram or something... Under the definition of parasocial relationship, it's no longer parasocial. My argument is it still is because it's only one-sided. Right. If they respond to you, if they like your tweet, if they respond to your comment, 
then it's no longer a parasocial relationship. It's not a friendship by any means, Mm -hmm. but it's no longer just one-sided because they have, or their assistant, has, (laughs) you know, there's a great example of my friend and I were at a conference and she and I had our nails done. So I, like, we did, like, held our hands and I took a photo and I'd be like, oh, I Mm -hmm. love our manicures. And then I was like, you know what this looks like? It's like when Travis Barker and Kourtney Kardashian confirms that they were together. So I found mm-hmm. the photo and I shared it. And it's been years that they had uh, had that photo up and stuff. So I, I like I really had to scroll. I was really invested in this whole stupid Instagram mm-hmm. story. So I go and I find it and I share it and had be like, doesn't this look familiar? And I show our photo. Then later on, I I was with her and we we're at a conference. Thankfully, it wasn't during a session of something, but I was like, oh, my God, Nikki, Courtney Kardashian Barker has seen my story. And I was like, either that or more likely it's one of her assistants. But still, like it says it with the check mark and everything. And I was like, frickity A, man. This is awesome. So under my definition, I would say it's no longer parasocial. But... Mm-hmm. What does this mean, especially with influencers, because they're not necessarily Kourtney Kardashian level? It's sort of all sorts of influencers um, that you get to know their daily lives, but they know nothing about you. It's kind of weird. So Mm -hmm. I didn't go for my PhD, but I still am curious about it. And I still I presented at AwesomeCon in Washington, D.C. I've applied to a few other conventions, but then COVID came. And so it, Mm -hmm. it kind of went to the back end. And then I started writing for the Game of Nerds. Um, I went to be on their podcast uh, to talk about parasocial relationships since that was my independent study at grad school. And then mm-hmm. she, uh, um, they, they, Game of Nerds asked me to write for them. And I do partially about parasocial relationships and partially reviews of movies i get screenings i got to go to like um tribeca film festival with a press pass or the chicago Mm -hmm. international film festival or um the different conventions so it's between those two and so that's my story and i still (laughs) get to it so uh yeah yeah that's yeah i was gonna say there's there's tons of points i could branch off but i just figured you finish but like i guess yeah, I didn't know that, but that's interesting as far as parasocial relationships because it's something I've personally had to keep an eye out for pretty early on because people, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years for people mm-hmm. who don't know, but like I also have a non- non-profit production team and, you know, there's there's factors that I didn't really anticipate being factors because of my just not knowing any better, but like me being a woman a woman's on the internet and me kind of being the funny man, you know, to people, especially in the brony culture, not everyone, obviously, because there's not really majority, but a lot of people pretended they or thought they knew me. And then when they saw something that in their mind contradicted what they thought was the thing, you know, with my PTSD timey fun times, it was interesting to see and, and not, I mean, it wasn't fun, obviously, but it was kind of like that's why it was so um you know traumatizing i'm pretty pretty okay talking about it now but like that's why it was so interesting because it was a lot of people having outrage with not really even knowing me me not really making a direct statement except like 
just apologizing for, for the people that felt so hurt kind of thing. So, and I realized now a lot of it was due to parasocial relationships. And, you know, mm-hmm. as an, I guess, influencer, YouTuber, person, lady, myself, like, I mean, that's why, you know, we have the Discord fan server is just so I can have a positive influence with people that like my content with that with still feeling safe because you know like it was things I didn't really think about getting into the game as far as now are absolute factors as far as people secretly recording me as far as people secretly you know taking my screenshots and sharing them out of context because you know I'm like you know kind of say it as I is but like you know sarcasm in general can be misread via text it happens all the time so you know and it's it's also people get vindictive if they get called out for their shit like recently we've been calling out more people that you know are not objectively great people for you know really obvious reasons like you know and we've releasing the safety reports in the fan server just like hey this was someone in our server and he turned out to be a keep an eye out kind of thing mm-hmm. here's this here's all the logs of the proof and i i found that a couple of people are getting mad about that and just like you're going after me because i'm a small creator i'm like no i'm going after you because you objectively did like a bunch of things really <laughs> up and wrong and like the, the public needs to know so it's it's just a weird kind of arc that i've had going from my little pony youtuber to kind of like you know the the slammer down of the the mallet, you know, the moral mallet, I suppose, because, Mm -hmm. but I've also been on the other end because, you know, I wish people were this to me when I needed it because the bronies, I say this with love, but there's a lot of autism in relation to bronies and people that consume a lot of cartoons specifically, but media generally, and just bad reads as far as me, my character, and as well as I present myself as an exaggeration of my personality, but it's pretty much like, so my personality, like, I make jokes mm-hmm. constantly at my own, you know, at my own expense, and I'm, you know, I'm fine, that's just who I am, but because of, I didn't really, I wasn't an actor, I wasn't playing a role, I was just playing myself, but exaggerated as a pony, or now exaggerated as a person, as a cartoon person on, on your screen, it's just been, um, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to see how people, like, I've had people, like, look up my real full legal name and think it's appropriate to tell me that in public, oh. I've had people ask for my phone number in public with their mom present and their mom has to be like okay junior like maybe that's not the best time so like i like having and like i love going to conventions it's nice nice to see the physical presence of people there but with the same token you know it's a good way to interact with people in person that i don't know how to phrase this but it's a good way to interact with people without uh whatever the walls i guess the you know because police generally aren't going or going to help you feel safe and especially conventions have a bunch of security staff so i guess it's the lesson that i've been learned i've have had to learn is to be careful in all my spaces like i'm i'm constantly online especially now as we're kind of a little behind in the regular content so but being careful what i say using a lot of i feel statements just so people if there's some kind of conflict don't feel attacked because if they feel attacked then they're gonna make emotional decisions at my expense or other people around me's expense and you know usually i try to use my influence positively but on the other spectrum there's other people on the end that you know just because you're an influencer or a youtuber or a podcaster doesn't morally make you a just person just period like anyone can have that if they bother to learn how to do that kind of stuff and there's kind of a blindness of like, oh, the influencer is good whenever, when I was like 15 and now I'm 20 or whatever. And there's also a risk there because it's like, you've tricked yourself to knowing this person, even though you 
you know what they what they present to the world and not really like the real them if that makes sense so yeah no that's so true and it's it's a very odd thing when i started interviewing influencers for my own research about parasocial relationships they're like it is weird because i don't call them my fans and it's even some influencers that i've reached out to that i've followed for years and if they don't respond i feel like i kind of take it personally i'm like oh what Mm -hmm. like you're kim kardashian you can't get back to my email (laughs) right right (laughs) right but you also are like whatever it's just it's a bizarre way of a friendship i think in my paper that i said someone quoted it it's not a friendship it's not a work relationship it's it's something sort of in between and it has never happened before because it's solely through the internet Mm -hmm. we never really had the internet at this capacity before so we're figuring things out just as we were figuring out how to use twitter or how to use instagram and how to use all sorts of different things i remember they were like i don't know should we say the president of bradley university is drinking tea like uh-huh. what is Twitter for? You know, and then we finally, you know, slowly but surely there was a way to be like, oh no, this is the, for this next event. This is what an alumni did. You know, like you figure it out. But mm-hmm. in the beginning, they really didn't know what to do with it. And because we were in the communications department, they were like, figure it out. And we're like, I, <laughs> I didn't invent the thing. So. <laughs> and so like, I remember there's a really meme. They're like, Instagram is down. Describe me your food. Because for a long time, people would just show their meals, you know, like the dish. Oh, God. Yeah, this was before my time. So this is like interesting. This is before restaurants. Like now you'll see restaurants, depending on if it's really popular, they actually have icons on the menus that say like this is Instagram worthy because they make it really pretty or something. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the hell is this? But before people are like, okay, having chicken soup you know hashtag chicken soup for the soul you know something like that we're like i don't know what the hashtag is for and people Mm -hmm. are figuring it out the way that we're forming relationships online is also new so how it's nice to hear that like parents kind of tell people Mm -hmm. now is not a time to ask kp for her number or like you just don't need to know that because as i was researching and Doing a lot of more famous, like, I remember, what was it? The one from the female who was in High School Musical, Vanessa um, Hutchins. Oh, yeah, 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 that's Vanessa that Hutchins, it? yeah. She, I think it was her, she was saying, like, she was at an airport, she was running late, she was trying to find it, and this lady was, like, with her daughter, she's like, you owe me an autograph and a photo with my daughter, <laughs> because I paid for, basically, you know, having a- Seeing your movie. Seeing your movie so many times and having, cannot, I'm going to miss my flight. And they're like, no, you owe us. And I'm like, this is an adult at an airport, which is already stressful. And you're with a child. Like, read the room that it's not appropriate time. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Versus, like, when my dad met, she is so famous. And she was in Jumanji. She was the older woman, like, older. Aquafina, maybe? No. No, no Aquafina was a Jumanji 2 or something. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know that off the top of my head. So Robin Williams. Oh, shoot. She's so good. Oh, this is going to bug me. Bonnie Hunt, I think is her name. Okay. Bonnie Hunt. You know what? We're going to check on this because this is disrespectful. She's awesome. 
Yes, it's Bonnie Hunt. Bonnie okay. Hunt was it. So my dad had been upgraded to first class on a flight. I think it was like from Chicago to Los Angeles. And I was supposed to be on the flight with him, but he traveled a lot for work. So I was stuck in coach first class. And lo and behold, Bonnie Hunt was on the flight with us. And so he went when everything was like calmly, like we went in. He's like, excuse me, my daughter is stuck in coach. Would you mind giving her an autograph? <laughs> she really likes you and all that stuff. And so she laughed and she's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so she did. And then when we landed, he met up with me because obviously he got out first and he's like, this is Bonnie Hunt's autograph. I'm like, what? This is so rude. You should have like switched places with me. Um, all that stuff. But Dad, anyway. you owe me. I know. Oh, wait until he like, he got Bernie Mac's autograph one time. I was so mad. He lost, he like left it at the hotel. I was so mad at him when he came back from a business trip. Oh, he was like filming Ocean's 13, I think at the time too, or Ocean's 11 to be 12. So anyway, so it was like, he knew, Hey, first of all, they might have a fear of flying. They might just want to sleep. It's a four hour flight. It's whatever. I'm fully prepared for no. Also, he knew the social norms of weight. Everyone's boarding. The flight attendants need to make sure everyone is properly in their seatbelt. We have to take off. Mm. Then the seatbelt thing has to come off. All sorts of stuff. And then you have four hours, basically, to get to Bonnie Hunt. And if she says no, deal with it. Like, you know, he had those social cues. And we're forgetting mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. because a lot of things are so immediate right now i was like what was her name oh my god this is driving person i just found it right <laughs> bonnie hunt if yeah. this was before the internet age we would just have to freaking deal with it you're I'm like it started with a right B. and you're like becky bailey you know, i'm like i don't know and there's always know, that just... that rumor that i think of that i'm pretty sure is true but like when bill murray would be on sets he'd just go up to a random person if they were eating like french fries or something and steal a french fry and just eat he said yeah. no no one will ever believe you and just walks away. <laughs> yes, yes. I've heard this story so much. And now, and there's, I think there's a documentary about it, about like how Bill Murray will just party crash. Huh? People started now with phones, camera phones, they have footage. And now people can believe yeah. them. They're like, I'm telling you, Bill Murray crashed our wedding and took a fry. You know, <laughs> they're like, no. <laughs> now there's footage and all that stuff. Yeah. So we caught um, the wild bill murray <laughs> yes yes it's like a loch ness monster or something but it's so good it's just and i liked and then they're like it kind of ruins it for people to have that kind of fun and like it's our little excuse me it's our little secret but yeah winky really wink isn't yeah and so mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing and that was one of the things that i was also studying and kind of helping with a professor at georgetown called for theory called presence theory which is about how we keep our presence there's so many ways to be in contact and to be contacted mm -hmm. that we have general distractions and how much do you give your full attention and I went back to why I went to grad school in the first place which was when I was trying to be present with our host family in Vanuatu and they were like I mean it'll load when it'll load you know kind of mm -hmm. thing like how's your day like what did you guys learn because they were, our host families were older, so they weren't really mm. at the conference. <laughs> but, but also they're like, oh, you come from the States and, and where in the States? I've never been there. All that kind of, and all I could think of is this isn't loading, <laughs> you know? So it, budgeting our presence. I know 
is it Dave Chappelle, I think, for his comedies, he requires all phones to be put away before you mm-hmm. enter the theater or to your seat because a he's like I don't want any recordings I'm still working on the joke and mm-hmm. two I really want people to be paying attention and stuff like that so it's an interesting thing and I think uh not sex in the city but in just that in the most recent season season two Miranda goes to a taping and she hides her phone like in her crotch or something because her son is in distress and she just wants to be in contact with him but you're like and then of course it rings at the worst time possible during a live Mm -hmm. recording and so i was like woman you can't put it on vibrate it's in your for crying out loud it's fine (laughs) like you'll feel it but wouldn't need to disrupt the whole thing i mean it's a stupid plot the show's not great in general yeah yeah i didn't even know the logistics of what you just said but i i believe you when when that episode exists yeah (laughs) yeah so like it shows you like why they still are like everyone is however many times you say please put your phone on silent people will always forget so like just put your phone away we'll lock it up it's safely with the guards after the performance you can get it back what if you're in a family emergency like the character was and of course Mm -hmm. then the forgets to turn it off to make it vibrate or something like that and yeah also you know like so it showed the plus sides of putting your phone away and the downsides because she was worried about her son and wanted to be right. in contact with him 24 7 so it was an interesting thing for me for having studied it i was like yeah i remember in school they said in in college in particular this is like 2007 or so to 2011 i don't know i'm horrible with math but so they said okay one person can have their phone on their desk everyone else has to put it away in case there is a campus emergency even the teachers Mm -hmm. like i will not put my phone on my like it's not even in my pocket it's inside my desk so i'm not distracted all that stuff because unfortunately there are things like campus shootings or if there was a tornado, or if there was whatever, you know, so we would get a text alert before the siren came on or something like that. It was that was acceptable. And everyone wanted their phone to be the one to be allowed. He's like, Nope, we'll give it to this person. And that was one of the proco polls. Is my understanding it's no longer like that, but it was an interesting way or, you know, our teachers would come and say, Listen, there is a family sort of emergency. My kid is in the hospital. I apologize if my phone comes off. I really need to have my phone with me at all times and mm-hmm. not on silent because I'm I'm expecting a call from the hospital. You know, right. something like that. So there was this open communication. Um, it, it is odd also now. Then I went into the workforce and my bosses, we were trained, you put your phone at your desk when you get to the conference table. You don't need your phone. Uh, you need it. If you need it, you put it on silent or on vibrate, right? But my boss mm-hmm. never had it that he would always have the ring on and it would be the most random thing. Like his kid is like, do we have peanut butter at the house or should I go to the grocery? You know, like something silly like that. I was like, why doesn't he have it? Well, because he's never been taught to put it away or taught. It's a new technology. He is like 30 years older than me and he's been in mm-hmm. this workforce for a lot longer. And the cell phone came out 10 years ago, you know, so how or less than. So this idea that his kid can communicate with him 24-7 is new and he doesn't know the protocol. I do mm-hmm. because I've been taught. It's quite interesting. And the more I did my research, 
for presence theory, the younger generation, so not the millennials, but ones after millennials and younger even, have a comfort of actually not having their devices with them, their smart mm-hmm. devices. They're kind of like the break versus millennials and a little older. It, it's a scarier thought because we got used to it. And then baby boomers and older are practically forget about their devices. You know, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I forgot my cell phone and we're going to go on vacation for a week. Oh, well, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting thing of the generational aspects of it. There is a theory that the next few generations will not be so obsessed with taking selfies or taking photos mm-hmm. in general. But because our generation, or right now, everything can be photographed, that there's just an overload. You're like, can't I just keep it mental, you know, right. kind of thing? So they're going to appreciate it. It's sort of, you know, really exaggerated example. But I think it still works is families whose family person whose family are chain smokers there's the chance a lot of the people that i know who have parents who were chain smokers really did not smoke they were like Mm -hmm. i'm sick and tired of the smell i'm sick and tired of like always only having one hand or you can't really talk because you have the cigarette in your mouth and all that stuff she's like no i just don't want it you know because they Mm -hmm. saw all the the frustrations of having it so much the other Mm -hmm. aspect is that it's so common that they just are used to the smoke and so they become smokers themselves so there's mm-hmm. either or of the extremes i think it's now that with our smart devices and and taking photos or having your memory like understanding like you don't need to know bonnie hunt's name right now mm-hmm. kind of thing so right right yeah interesting for me to see too i suppose because like as a millennial myself i guess as a traditionally mem- millennial person there seemed to be like a rite of passage almost in getting your first cell phone or getting your first, even mm-hmm. your first iPod back in the day. And yes. because of that, that kind of extreme excitement was matched with using it as much as possible versus now it's kind of, you know, more, more uh, just universal. That's not really something that's such behind such a paywall, such a like a privilege. You know, I remember like when I was getting, when people were generally getting iPods, it was like, middle school age and then the next generation was getting them like you know like and elementary school i'm just like what is an elementary school and an ipad but that's kind of like you know there comes becomes less of a gate or a wall behind you know like uh improving technology but that's how it's kind of been for just general human history is as the older generations get access to to things and pass it down the younger the younger kind of get used to it and take it for granted and then generally how the standard of living goes up so it's interesting though to see it in in a media aspect and kind of compare notes as far as generational um, trends, I suppose, that are coming out. Yeah, definitely. So I guess to talk about more of the digital marketing side, so like kind of if you want to break down kind of like how you got into that specifically a little bit in more detail as well as like, you know, like maybe kind of the the breakdown of uh, how your your people kind of work on stories and how they send it off because I imagine you'd have to send them off to agencies and reps to be approved like what is that process like as well so the market it depends I work and I work with a lot of nonprofits mm-hmm. and NGOs because I now am more location independent so I, I travel a lot I'm more of a nomad Mm-hmm. But I've had most of my clients from Washington, D.C., which has a lot of government stuff, but I tend to work more in the So I've heard. <laughs> right, as you know. 
And the marketing things is just to make sure you have everything. So for nonprofits, it's really important that we always credit our funders, right? So Mm -hmm. actually an interesting thing, we had a speaker at Georgetown in a class I was taking at school that was a guy who started a private company and he worked for the government. Uh, It was when ISIS, the terrorist group. um, Oh, gotcha. Not the goddess. (laughs) Not the goddess, but uh, the, what is it, Islamic something, or I can't remember. Anyway, remember this, like, in 2016 or so, um, the, they were really recruiting, and they were really, really influential online, ISIS, the terrorist groups. In particular, they would get a lot of young women in mm-hmm. America to drop everything and leave their home and their home country and move to, I think it's like Lebanon and other parts of the Middle East that ISIS really worked on. Uh, now, this this individual, he had come, he worked for the CIA. He worked, you know, he's special ops, all sorts of stuff. And he's like, if they ever wanted to get back, he's like, the best way defense online is to make fun of them mm-hmm. because it makes them angry. And when you're angry, you're going to make mistakes. <laughs> right. So at the time, Saturday Night Live with Dakota Johnson. Um, what year is this? This is probably like 2016, I think. Okay. Uh, Dakota Johnson is a Fifty Shades of Grey girl, right? Yeah. yeah. So she came, she was a host on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Saturday Night Live had a, uh, a skit where she's, it looks like she's being dropped off to go to college, right? So she and her dad, and he's like, I'm really proud of you, and I'll miss you at home. She's like, dad, I really have to do this. I need to like leave my bubble and all sorts of stuff. And, and then he's like, yeah. And then he, it turns out she's going to go join ISIS <laughs> and, and they have the, you know, the other actors pretend to be ISIS with the guns and the beards and all sorts of stuff and the turbans and all things like that. So it's a joke because it was happening a lot and we're kind of studying it too. And things like And it goes back to like what I had discovered at the youth conferences is like when young people want a purpose, they want to have more than just go work at the farm when you're done, that's it. Or go do school, go work. That's all you have wanted more. Am I Mm -hmm. doing it all for right? So this ISIS figured out that and then they were like, you're doing Allah's work and all that stuff, you know, Allah Mm -hmm. being Arabic for God and all sorts Mm -hmm. of stuff. So it was an interesting thing. So this this man, I don't remember his name, but he was saying basically SNL did a good job and they can do that because they don't have to get permission from their bosses. Their boss is Lauren Michaels and his boss is NBC and NBC is like, whatever, it's creative, it's mm-hmm. creativity. We have creative license to do it, right? He's like, mm-hmm. for us, if we wanted to use Twitter or something like that to do any kind of response towards ISIS, or anybody, honestly, mm-hmm. North Korea or South Korea, it doesn't matter. He's like, if I write a tweet, I would have to give it to my boss, who would have to give it to the head of the CIA, who would have to go talk to the White House, which would have mm-hmm. to get permission from the president. The president doesn't have the final say, though. The president has to talk to so their advisors and all sorts of Then it comes all the way down back to me and they say, OK, you can approve it. Or no, you need a comma. When you put the comma, send it back to us for Twitter doesn't have time for this crap. It's an idiot, right? He's like, so we're behind fighting ISIS as a official government entity. The CIA is 
Instagram or the CIA's Twitter or something cannot do that. But a private company, which he had started, is allowed to do it. Uh, SNL is allowed to do that. So he's like, so that's that's the frustrations of sometimes having those digital marketing things. And I just was at a workshop yesterday on branding. And this man was working. Is this answering your question, by the way? Um, It's interesting. So you're good. Keep on. <laughs> okay. So because you were don't saying. Worry, like, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll I'll stop you if, if okay. I'm just like, okay. So, so like, I don't know what this is about. <laughs> yeah. So, so but going back to like the branding and figuring out the voice. They said man was a speaker and he is an independent. He's a contractor. And he one of his clients was champion the athletic department, like the athletic mm-hmm. store. And he was sharing with us a couple of examples of just, you want to engage with people. And that means commenting on other content, not just always spewing out your own content. Mm -hmm. And he was like, these comments that I made that took me literally 30 seconds to find, write, and send got 400 likes, 40,000 likes on some of these things, you know, all sorts Mm -hmm. of stuff. Like he's like, there was one photo of, kim kardashian wearing champion sweatshirt so in the comment he's like you're doing great sweetie keep wearing champions which is a callback to a famous line from keeping with the kardashians where Mm -hmm. she was posing for playboy and her mother would say you're doing great sweetie you know so so he used that kind of common like meme or memory from the show and just used that for champions and then we were like were you allowed to do that champion let Mm -hmm. you have free reign he's like no they did not (laughs) i was like i just took a chance and i just did it and Uh i'm like you could fire me but it's getting the job done kind of thing we're like oh dang okay and he's like and i didn't get fired the contract ended and stuff and they liked what i did but we decided to move on but he's also like i took a chance because you can't keep waiting like is this clever is this appropriate is this you know you want to get engaged and the more he found that the less he thought about it got more attention anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, I would also say there's a risk about it, right? Uh, there are certain things. I, mean, I remember John Oliver, the late night with John Oliver was talking mm-hmm. about how brands really don't need to participate on a lot of all these different observance days. And he used, I think it was a memorial for the September 11th, 2001 attacks it's mm-hmm. been however many years later. And he's like, it's weird when brands like Pizza Hut or whatever kind of talk about it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is one from Fleshlight, the sex toy. <laughs> I'd participate and say, like, never forget, hashtag never forget. And they're like, why does Fleshlight need to talk about 9-11 kind of thing? So there's these arguments. That's why I kind of like that I work with nonprofits because the most majority of the time, going back to what I thought your question was, is to it's cool. We'll have a good time. No, it's good. Is bringing awareness to an organization's work and crediting those who've helped us. For instance, one is in food systems to help end hunger, specifically hidden hunger, which is a term I can explain later, but. And so some of our funders are like the government of Canada and the Gates Foundation, you know, they give us a lot of funding. So I also have to figure out how to fit that in 140 characters or less now with X 
you can pay to have more room, but we are a nonprofit and an NGO, like there's no money. So we're not paying for that. So just like getting, you know, should I say, uh, thank you for, and, and using instead of F O R, just use the number four, but that's not very professional. So what should I, you know, there's all those little things, make it a thread, make it, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so there's all those kind of challenges that are kind of interesting and it differs with one client the manager had changed twice and one did not mind when and the word and was used as the symbol so uh-huh. that i could save three characters or at least two <laughs> characters the other one is a more of a academic person and then she's like i don't think that's professional looking and i was like mm. okay so then i can't really do all of these unless i make a multiple tweets and I'll, and then I'm like, then they'll get lost to which link they need to. Right. Let me think about this. You know, so like you, you work with people in that capacity and, and try to please them. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And that can be very subjective, I'm sure, depending on who's, who's there. And like yes. the other, I guess from my perspective too, it gets tricky because like, you know, the, like to kind of wrap around what you said earlier, the traditional like actor or actress or social media person mm-hmm. has kind of has to prove their worth beforehand and is at the mercy of, like, at least when they're first starting out, like, usually one or two major studios, and that's kind of how the Disney Channel kids kind of rise to the rank is because they're working with Disney. And Disney gives them the exposure, and then they choose what to do with it after, I suppose, if they, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. That's long history of use and abuse there. But I guess unfortunate thing is influencers have to kind of learn that stuff, like, as they're going, depending on how their brand is going. And I don't know, I guess it can be tricky sometimes because you kind of have to learn to trust people, but also be careful about having your own back and being careful about like, you know, who might be over your shoulder and who might be trying to befriend you for the wrong reasons, like for whatever, because that's happened to me multiple times. And it's just kind of like, oh, okay, so they weren't, they didn't want to like work with me for X, Y, and Z. They wanted to work with me because they had a crush on me. They needed the social validation of being around me, which is kind of weird because I don't really take myself too seriously. So to have someone else have it in their head that like, you know, I'm important than more than just like someone who does tube content is really kind of, I guess it's a compliment, but also kind of like a weird amalgamation in my head. Because I, again, I just don't see myself that important besides just I make cartoon videos about cartoons sometimes. So it's an interesting, you know, it's hard for me to wrap my head around people who do it on a more like, uh, casual basis or like because we always put a lot of I mean I feel we put a lot of effort into the content and we put a lot more effort than those videos need just to get out my general opinions about specific things so there's also kind of like you have that this situation that that's going on on YouTube now with the sniper fox girl or rifle I don't know a YouTuber who basically docked someone or docked someone that she wasn't on good terms with on the platform that itself and youtube is kind of giving her a slap on the wrist saying oh well you know you get lose monetization for a week and then everyone else is like she she committed a crime like what is what is there to discuss but like previously from my understanding she was a game gamer youtuber who didn't actually game and stole other people's footage to, to use in her videos which is kind of like morally not cool and then there's the other also construct of like you know sometimes women on the internet can get away with things for a longer period of time than if they were men 
which is kind of like this Tara Strong situation, kind of like mm-hmm. her situation. So it's kind of, um, it's a weird time for just kind of developing media and stuff. Like, I think the internet in general is a net good because it helps people learn faster and it gives access to learning for people who maybe can't afford it otherwise, logistically yes. or financially. But at the same time, you create kind of these people that, you know, shouldn't be using it as much as they are for whatever reason, escapism or influence or power, you know, whatever. And those people kind of have to just kind of have to wait for them to mess up so bad and go away or learn their lesson and you know it's weird it's weird to see real people character arcs sometimes on twitter (laughs) yeah well i often i also taught like uh internet safety for kids and high school and elementary school all that stuff anyone really under the age of 18 and what was asked like oh do you think we're better off or worse off with the internet and I always use this example. Exactly. I'd say overall better off because schools don't get funded a lot. Uh, I had a friend whose school book, history book was talking about the Cold War, like the fear of the Cold War. And we're like, okay, that was that was a while ago. <laughs> so, But you have the internet to have the most up-to-date things that are going on. So all that stuff. If you have a learning disability or something like that, there are a lot more tools you can find out more about. You can find a community, it's a huge community for people who are, you know, LGBTQ plus who might not feel comfortable in their real life community, find a community Mm -hmm. online, all sorts of stuff. But equate the internet, particularly something like the car. When the car was first started, there were no real laws. There was no stop signs. There was no seatbelts, nothing. Mm -hmm. Did it get you to work faster and then get you back home faster? Yes to be with your families did you get to the hospital faster yes but lots and lots and lots of deaths have happened lots and lots of accidents people went paralyzed or whatever it was so then they were like oh maybe we should have street signs maybe we should have stoplights and stop signs and all sorts of then seat belts and maybe oh you know what maybe children shouldn't be sitting in the front seat you know mm-hmm. anyone under the age of i think it's what 10 needs i don't even know but either way and then they were like oh babies need their own kind of base baby seat and then people were still drinking and driving they're like oh nope that can't be good they didn't know any better and then they realized it wasn't good so there was a law right then it was texting and driving was a huge thing then it was all sorts of, so we need to have hands-free. Our cars also adapted as well as our laws adapted to how the cars and technology, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the internet right now, I think, we don't even have seatbelts. It's up to you, the individual, to put on the seatbelt or, you know, to be wiser about your decisions. And that's a lot. Right. The law will always be behind. So if you expect children to be protected, if they're not online. So you have to educate your children and think of what is okay to share. Do you want your kid's face online or not? Do you want, if they're going to show them doing some sort of choreography outside in the backyard, well, does it show any street signs to give away your location? You know, all sorts of, like, think about these things. And then it's also just having that balance you don't need to be obsessed with the technology or to find out so-and-so's name right away. You know, like, 
realize like what should be prioritized, what should have your attention and your presence at this moment. We're at a family dinner. We do not need to be distracted. We do not need the TV on or we don't need music on right now. Let's just talk kind Mm -hmm. of thing. No one's telling you to do this. You have to do it to yourself. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, I think it's like to, to your other point, too. I think it's interesting to note that like, I don't know how to articulate it, but like, you know, it's been such a big influence on the millennial generation and parents just kind of assume that that was a positive influence, at least from my perspective you know seeing a lot of kids with their parents and like conventions like have always kind of been around since the 80s with like star trek conventions but i'd say in the last like 10 years they're slowly becoming more not family affairs but just like they're more open to that family and they try to advertise to families specifically because you know like because i remember i wasn't really going to conventions in high school and that was kind of like in the more of an adult thing and they cost money and that might be problematic so i think especially smaller conventions have done a real good marketing move to to market to families because if you know you don't have to travel and you have something going on downtown to do something and if it's like 30 to 50 bucks to get in you know and they have someone that people might be interested in then you know there's kind of a there's kind of like oh it's something to do kind of thing similar to like a traveling comic kind of doing shows just around the culture kind of thing so um you know but at the same time there's also been like issues with you know people making friends on the internet for better for worse and like you know from the brony days what we would do is we'd meet like we the people that grew up in that that culture would people at conventions for their first time and then once we established that the hey they you know i didn't get robbed or anything then it was good i guess i don't know like it's it's been weird for me because i'm i was a popular girl in that community like a they used to call it horse famous was the term so i had to be especially careful but at the same time, it was, uh, I don't know, not interesting, but like, it was, it was a risk, like anything else, you're yeah. with people you've only met online, but it seemed like it was a more accepted risk for like, you know, eight, like college kids compared to like, you know, like people in high school, or because high schoolers wanted to go to these events too, but I'm like, I mean, if your mom's here, you know, like, I, I wouldn't advise just going on your own because you don't really know what you're getting into, mm-hmm. and especially... A lot of the old the old guard bronies are turning out to be not great people. Not all of them, but like a couple of content creators in my field in my day have turned out to not be great people. I'm not, you know, not not speaking to anyone specific. There is like, you know, a, a guy, uh, I think 2018, who turned out to be creeping on children. And that kind of is sometimes a theme when you don't have those communities unchecked. But like, from my experience with the bronies, they were so afraid to put put lights on that to draw attention to the the bad people because they didn't want to all be grouped as the bad people. But at the end of the day, that was kind of a disservice to the public to and selfish as a general yeah. concept. So I think it's it's getting more better better or as far as you know, I think Discord is a a much more convenient tool, hence why I use it all the time. But at the same token, you know, parents should knowing what their kids are consuming on the internet like i cursed in my videos like i always have and like it just makes me uncomfortable to think that if you know a parent didn't paying attention to what their children are watching on the internet and i curse and that's how children learn bad words is through the blue horse on the internet then that creates a lot of different issues and you know i think about that sometimes and i'm like oh no did i teach a whole generation to curse from the internet (laughs) yeah so that's a lot (laughs) yeah and it's just, and it, it's a lot, but 
schools don't have the capacity to teach. You have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's very fair. And, you know, sometimes people or parents specifically just don't have the time for it. And, you know, that's fair, but, you know, it's kind of a, in a gray area because then it's kind of like, you know, your kids learning how to use your, their cell phones before you do. Like, you can't, it's hard for you yes. to deny them that tool if they use that to connect to their friends, but you don't really know what they're doing on that cell phone kind of thing. So, right. As an example, but it's. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't I don't think I have any more questions off the top of my head. Do you have any questions or any like discussion points you want to bring up? I think we got about ten minutes on the clock, or you know, but they um, I can go past if you'd like. So, uh, no, I mean, basically, moral of the story is uh, be aware of your emotions, and you know, remember, no one owes you their like a selfie, <laughs> and I guess. There's like little tips of, of having those digital balances. And also when you post online, I always tell them like, okay, the internet is forever, right? There is actually no law right now that allows you to, that allows Twitter or X, Instagram or whatever to delete whatever you posted, right? So I was like, so when you want to say something, I say, compose what you want to say and then leave it for a while an hour overnight and go back to it do you still want to post that because if it's Mm -hmm. still relevant to you and you still feel those ways or maybe you swore a lot and you don't want to necessarily swear that much online because it'll be coming back to you and all sorts of stuff or it's just a bad habit even if you use a fake username or something like that Mm -hmm. Uh, i think so that's one of the things i always teach the kids and then just because it will always be there, right? So if it matters, if it's right now or an hour from now or a day from now or a week from now, it can wait to be posted. Like right. cool off, see how you feel about it now. Do you still want to post it? Right. Um, then the other thing is to also have a time, like people bring their devices to the bathroom. Like, well, if you need to take a poo, bring a book, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I. <laughs> you know, like my friend is a very germaphobic and, and she hates it when people bring their phones in the bathroom. And sometimes I do. So I just tease her and stuff would be like sending you a text. Guess where I am? She's like, you better not be on the shitter and all that stuff kind of thing. But it is true. Like we're so d- or like I remember when it started counting your steps and I went to the bathroom and I left my phone, my desk. I'm like, well, that was a waste of like 10 steps to count to my 10,000 goals kind of thing. You need to also not need to have it all the time. There's watches now and all sorts of stuff, but having that digital thing because our memories have gone bad. I can never have, never really had a good sense of direction, but how many phone numbers do you have memorized? Mm -hmm. Probably not a lot, but if you talk to a baby boomer and older, they probably still know quite a few phone numbers. Because they had to, yeah. right? I, we don't. Don't know my best friend's phone number. I was on the shitter and I needed to text her and I didn't have my contacts or something like that. I'd be like, oh, well, I'm going to have to wait until I'm like washed hands and everything. Like, And then what's the point of that? That's no joke for her. <laughs> That's no tease. But it's it's those kinds of things of also allowing our brains to be, you know, away from technology too. So those are my mm-hmm. top things is... You don't need to post right away and also have a break from technology too. 
Yeah, I think that's a good because a good mind frame because especially to bring it back to parasocial relationships sometimes mm-hmm. people if they don't get the response that they want to hear in their head as far as being best friends with brad pitt or whoever then yeah. they might say something that is emotionally toned but you know comes off as aggressive like insults and you know calling people bad names and you know like your mythological celebrities your taylor swifts don't really owe you as a person anything because mm-hmm. they just they're so busy because they have to appease a million people all the time and they have to watch how they act on social media because if they say like one or two things out of line then you know it could turn into a for them so sometimes Usually, like, the busier the people are, in my experience, the less communicative they are on Twitter or whatever, because they gatekeep back just for their own protection, which I get. But, you know, like, my just general advice is people just gotta not take that stuff so personally. Like, just because you don't owe any specific person anything, even if you've consumed their product or their time, like, from my experience, too. And so, like, traditional celebrities, when you want to book them, you go to IMDb, and you professionally book them via IMDb Pro by contacting their agency from there. In my experience, that's generally how it's done, from my understanding. And, like, the general public doesn't really know that, you know, and they just assume the people who run the Twitter are actual people, and they're not just, again, the assistants who are just keeping up with their Twitter, so their fans feel like they're being seen or whatever to kind of kind of keep it going, I suppose. But each person is also different, and, like, I've been in situations where people feel insulted because I call them a fan, or I don't, you know, I don't take DMs with just random fans kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a derogatory term when it's just kind of like, hey, you know, I don't really know you. So it can be like kind of a bed of knives if you don't know what you're expecting. And that's kind of how it's been in my experience, you know, because I've always kind of been the funny man. You know, that was always mm-hmm. my shtick. So people just kind of, and humor has a way of resonating with people for better or for worse. And so I'd feel like a lot of people pretended they thought they knew me when they didn't know me just because they consumed my content and they just assumed I was na- like, you know, I am exactly the person in the video and I could never do any wrong and I'm not even a person anymore. I'm just like this this mythical figure in their head. Um, so, you know, which again is kind of, a catch-22, like, I enjoy being a content creator and stuff, but I've learned from doing it so long just to be careful, you know, be careful what I say, be careful how I say it, because, like, my word means a lot at the end of the day, and, like, if I don't say something exactly correctly, then it could come back and bite me later. So that's kind of, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the way it is, so. But, yeah. um, All right, well, go ahead, Tara. No, I was just like, it's true, and we're all still learning and all sorts of stuff. We're still figuring out. I mean, they're still figuring out how to use the car. Did you realize, like, they're like, oh, the, the seatbelts and the airbags and stuff have actually injured a lot of women and children because we only had the men engineers making them. Uh, you know, and they're like, yeah, it took you this long to realize that men tend to be a little bit bigger than women. So it kept injuring the women. <laughs> There's still always progress to be made, and cars have been going around for 70 years, mm-hmm. longer. So we're still in the, the middle of it. But it's good to keep having these conversations and learning from each other and, and getting these tips and, and all that stuff. So thank you so much, KP, for Oh, yeah, me. yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah, thanks for coming on, like I said, pre-recording. 
you know, having guests that are educated and fun to talk to and keep it professional is kind of all I can ask because as, you know, working with YouTubers and other people, you kind of, you know, I'm not used to dealing with like, professional is such a loose term when you're dealing with people on the internet, you know, you just kind of don't know. So yeah, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts and, and especially like, education and stuff i thought that was fascinating to hear parasocial yeah from someone who actually studied it and not just like knows that term off the top of their head so well because i was like i used to watch kim possible what does she want to talk about (laughs) and you were like i just wanted to talk about your your background and all that so i'm like all right i was i really wasn't sure i was like did you want me to watch rick and morty or something i don't know well you (laughs) You can you can ask me next time, all right? Like if you're yeah yeah yeah. Like I don't I don't mind next time, and we could dissect you know Little Mermaid animation and live action. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I just wanted, especially if for people that are continual people, it's always good to establish tone because, like, you know, like the general audience doesn't know where I stole all these people from. Like I've had my personal friends who have like you know little to to know. Uh, you know, pro- not professional, but just kind of experience in the online platform, and I have to kind of coax mm-hmm. them through it. So I've kind of like I've kind of seen it all at this point. You know, we're yeah we're at ninety something, so we're close to a hundred episodes of the podcast specifically. So That's you know, great. it's it's an interesting yeah it's interesting. I like having it as another platform as an easier thing to get out that isn't just the content because the content I don't know if you've seen it, Tara, yourself, but the content's very it's very meticulous because of how detailed it is the high production values versus just again youtubers that are just talking over still images like that doesn't really take that long versus like you know using premiere and after effects and animating stuff and it's a whole thing well i was watching some of the youtube of the past guests and they tended to be more about like something particular in the world of animation or television or something like that so i wasn't sure and i was like i wonder what she's gonna use for my voice like who's gonna it can be angelina jolie oh my god that's so cool Anyway. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I gotcha. So this podcast is mostly just about fandom stuff. It's a range of just stuff that is fandom adjacent. So, you know, it's a cartoon animation channel that and I started doing My Little Pony stuff. So it's like just kind of general Western animation slash also fandom because I do conventions and that crosses over to fandom and like, you know, the Kim Possible stuff and the pony stuff is fandom pretty heavy heavy especially the pony stuff it has been Kim Possible it's always kind of as a fandom's always kind of had its ups and downs like a little mm-hmm. higher than normal but ne- not anything like My Little Pony at least from what I remember we weren't having Kim Possible conventions so there was almost yeah. one Kim Possible convention but it didn't happen so you know you know the bronies I think take advantage of the fact that they right. have conventions specifically for their IP where most people have to go to normal conventions and like big bigger conventions just to kind of be involved in fandom spaces in general so which is yeah. interesting on its own so so Tara where can people find you on the internet if they want to look up your your work sure I'm on most platforms at Tara underscore Jabari I have two podcasts one is who was she podcast which is about women throughout history and then the other one i work on a lot is media and monuments which is a podcast that talks to people who are screen-based professionals Um, i'm one of the co-hosts and one of the co-producers we got the gina davis institute on i got interview blockbuster oh that's interesting yeah like blockbuster the guy tm (laughs) 
Well, no, the, the manager, the store manager of the last blockbuster in the world. Right, she's, right. She's so cool. Yeah. And uh, I think it's Sandy Harding. I could be wrong. Yeah, but that, that it, rings a name or rings a yes, bell. So. It, she was really sweet. She like, let me talk to her. Totally geeked out. But you got to talk, you know, we talked to editors. We talked to casting agents, location managers, anything in, in screen-based formats and all. And, and now... We've been talking to influencers, particularly because of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. People can't mm-hmm. really talk about it. And it, it was like, you yeah. know, there's a new form of media, screen-based media. So we've been talking to influencers. And, and so I really enjoy it. I always say I'd be a listener if I wasn't involved because I would want to know what does it mean to be a producer and what does it mean to be a location manager or travel influencer and media and monuments. and then. At Who Was She podcast is another one that was a passion project. And I talk about a woman's life, um, first season was on Lydia Zeminoff, second season was on Zana, third season was at Hazel Summers. And I'm working on the fourth season. So these women had really inspiring lives. And so I, I decided to put it on a podcast format. And I think more people would benefit from learning them about their lives too. Yeah, um, thanks for, for going through that. The dog was barking. I appreciate it. <laughs> no worries. I like that. Yeah, um, he's, uh, he's a good dog. He's just a little noisy sometimes when I'm recording at the worst possible times, but it's 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 okay. Dogs are so cool. So yeah, if this is your first time listening to Animation Communication, welcome to the craziness. Like I said, we have, this is like going to be like 90 something, 91, 92. So we have a whole backlog if you're interested in fandom, animation, art, you know, like professional people in the industry, in the animation industry, in the animation field specifically. So that's kind of the focus. But we also have like convention and convention safety and like, you know, all sorts of like stuff in that sphere too. So we're on all the platforms, including YouTube, because we have a YouTube channel, which, you know, People can watch it, but we also are on iTunes and Spotify and all the all the places that people go to the places and the things. So you know, it's 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 fun. I like it here. So, but yeah, I think that's. I don't really have any other further announcements besides that for the class. Just join the Discord server. It's neat. I like it. We worked hard on it to have like games and movies pretty much every night at this point. So if you like make good friends and it's not just about hanging out with me and only me, then. You know, it's safe for minors, too. So I think the, the terms of service for Discord are 13 plus. So, but, you know, again, parents, make sure your kids aren't doing anything weird on the internet, please. I can't can't control your children. Don't send them to me. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. See you next time or see you in the past. And thanks for listening to us talk about nerd stuff, essentially. Parasocial and, like, psychology and fun things. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting provider. We are really hoping the show makes a difference in how people view animation, as well as media as a whole, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like and want to join the animation and media industry. If you like what you heard, please remember to show support by giving a like, a follow, rating those five stars, as well as subscribing to our main I Love Kim Possible A Lot channel on YouTube, and turn your notifications on. New episodes of Animation Communication come out every Wednesday at 6am EST on podcasting platforms and 4pm EST on YouTube. 
You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the KP Podcast for information on upcoming guest episodes and more, as well as our hosts KP and Lyle Convoy at I Love KP a lot and at Lyle Manbad on social media. I'm Lucy, and thank you for being a part of our community. See you next time on Animation Communication.